Yeah, I was delighted to be asked to speak about healing because it is something I am very passionate about. I've been healed many times in my life and I do believe God is calling me into um, work with him regarding healing of people uh, physically and emotionally. I also must share that it was a little bit uh, nerve-wracking talking about healing because it's not something I totally understand completely. I don't understand why some people get healed and some don't. And it's a very complex subject. And the more I studied it in the Word, the more I realized I didn't know. So it's something that um, I just want to share again. I want to be clear that this is my experience that I want to be sharing with you. And I also want to be clear that I am not suggesting that all sickness is due to sin. Jesus himself said a man's blindness was not due to his sin or the sin of his parents. He said it was rather to reveal the glory of God. Also, Job was not punished with boils because God was mad at him. In fact, he was rewarded with a clear understanding of who God was. And he received blessings when he refused to curse God, like his wife told him to. So I do know two things for sure, though. Number one, I have been healed of every single thing I have asked God to heal me of. Second, I personally know the healer. I spend time talking with him, and I have been willing to do what he says, even when it doesn't make sense. That is essential. So I shared my testimony before it, transformation, about how God delivered me from alcoholism. Well, it's the last half of my life with Jesus, though, that has been a more dramatic healing. Nobody saw it because you couldn't see on the outside. It was all on the inside, what God did to heal my soul. It hasn't been quick and it hasn't been easy. It's required brutal honesty, which is hard. After accepting Jesus, I appeared to be very successful. God blessed me. I felt like Joseph. Everything I touched turned to gold, even if I was in the prison. I had a, a great career, family, church life, everything that I thought I wanted. And inside, though, I, did, I was not. My inside didn't match my outside. Outside, everyone thought I was together. My life was in balance. I looked good. I, I just talked really good. But you know what? Inside, I was not that. I was very insecure. I was a people pleaser. I couldn't say no to people. I was afraid of responsibility, even though I had an incredibly responsible job. I, I was terrified every day. What did I have to face today? And I was afraid of judgment by others. That was a huge part of my life was I, I thought I would not be good enough. I wouldn't be perfect enough. So that was a really tough thing to do, to try to keep up appearances, try to be perfect all the time. I was exhausted. So throughout my life, um, despite knowing Jesus and knowing what his word says, I still had recurring cycles of depression. And I mean suicidal depression and physical sickness. They would be in cycles. The last one was about 20 years ago. I had um, long-term disability for two years. I had fibromyalgia, which the doctor said was incurable. 
And because fibromyalgia is the big assortment of all kinds of things that go wrong with you, part of it is mental, part is physical, I was extremely depressed. I couldn't go to work, I couldn't be a mom, I couldn't be a wife. My life felt over. So a telling moment though, when I was talking about my circumstances, I found myself saying I hated someone. I had never said that about anybody in my entire life. Not even the person who sexually assaulted me. I never hated, I forgave, I was a Christian. But I said I hated that person. So that was a huge flag for me. What was going on? And it was not that person I found out later. It was what the emotions that that triggered in me. There was a deep anger that was so deep underground. I didn't even know it was there, but God wanted to show me. And he was going to bring me to face all of that eventually. So it's interesting. When I was preparing for today, last night, I just happened to find a, a dream journal that I kept from 20 years ago, right when all of this stuff was happening, when I was sick. And um, I read these dreams. And, I, and a good thing I marked the date. It was January 6, 2003. I had three dreams. And I really want to share these dreams because they were... I thought at the time I understood a lot about what God was doing, but it, now it is fascinating that uh, how remarkable God's word was to me because God speaks to me through dreams and visions a lot. And if I pay attention, I learn a lot. So the first dream was I was in a runaway truck. It was sliding backwards downhill. I was trying to brake, but the brake wasn't working. And I kept losing the brake. I didn't know where it was. And when I would step, it would just slow down. So my main focus was really try to steer and not crash the truck. That was what I focused on. The second one, I had a garden in my mother's backyard and it had beautiful, beautiful artwork and all the pieces of art were framed in gold and they were all attached. So they were like a fence around this garden. But in the garden, were plants and they didn't look healthy. They were struggling and there were big boulders and sand. So instead of soil, there was nothing for, to nurture these plants. So I realized that in order to get soil in there I, and to get the boulders out, it was gonna be messy and I had to destroy this beautiful artwork to get in there. So this, the, the third dream was I went to a store and I bought a bag of licorice, which is so funny because I hate red licorice and I love black licorice. So in my bag was a ton of red licorice with only one or two black ones. And I had to sign for this licorice, which is strange. But I looked at my handwriting when I signed the receipt and it was big and fancy. So what was God telling me through these dreams? First of all, my life was a runaway truck that I couldn't stop. Second of all, I had a choice. I could keep the illusion of perfection or do the hard and messy work in order to produce a harvest. The third point he talked to me about was if I stop trying to impress people and trying to look good, I would get more of what I wanted in my life instead of what I didn't want. So Randy, you preached a couple of weeks ago about anger. And this topic is something I'm very familiar with because I work in youth justice with a lot of young people who are very angry. 
I see it surfacing in a couple of ways. One which you described, uh, lashing out, uh, angry. Um, and some of the kids I see actually have physical violence, even to the point of murdering. Another way I see some of the people dealing with anger is they turn it inside. And what that looks like is depression, self-harm, sometimes suicide. So if you'd asked me 20 years ago, if I was an angry person, I would have said, absolutely not. Because that was my default setting to ignore emotions, stuff them down before you feel them. I had done that my whole life. So where my husband would lash out and he'd be rah, 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 and he'd blow up and I'd be like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like him. But then you know what? He'd get over it really quickly and he would never hold grudges. Me, on the other hand, I would pretend I wasn't angry, but then he'd get the silent treatment or some sarcastic remark or criticism. So I wasn't really fooling anybody. Maybe the people at work thought I was this amazing person who was calm, cool, and collected all the time. But my family knew that was not me. In fact, Don used to call me Yilsa. That was kind of my alias. So, in the Old Testament, we see many people who acted out of their anger and they committed violence. Moses and Cain were two men who actually killed because of it. So just as an aside, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that the Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. A group actually is called violence. Anyway, back to what I was talking about is regardless of the reasons, whether justified or not, both Moses and Cain, they let their anger get the best of them, and they did kill. Then we see prophets like Elijah and Jonah, who ran away and ended up hiding in caves or end up in big fish. Both of these prophets, they expressed a desire to die. So it's interesting that in God's intervention in Cain and Jonah's stories, he asked them both one simple question. Why are you angry? In the case of the prophet Jonah, he was angry because God allowed a plant to die. A plant that just appeared a day ago. He had originally disobeyed God and he got swallowed up by a big fish. But in God's grace, the, the fish spit him out and he actually completed his assignment, which was to go to Nineveh, which was a, a, a city that was about the size of Thunder Bay and was full of sin. So every single person in Nineveh all turned to God and they forsake their, they forsook their sin. So that was a really successful missionary trip, 100% success. And was Jonah happy? No. He was so angry, he wanted to die. So I want to turn now to the story of Cain. So I'm looking at Genesis 4 where it says, so starting at verse three, it says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. 
It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So in this story, God let him know his unresolved anger and jealousy had to be mastered, or it would lead him to sin. Unfortunately, Cain selfishly chose the way of violence. An interesting question, though, was raised in the conversation after Cain decided to kill his brother. This time it was Cain asking the question. He asked in verse 4, am I my brother's keeper? In Hebrew, the word used for keeper is shomer. Scripture uses this word over 400 times. It describes a process of keeping, watching, taking care of, guarding. So in the story told by Jesus of the Good Samaritan, the priests and the Levites walk by a beat-up body lying on the side of the road. They're being good Jews. What if that body is dead? I can't touch that, be- that body because if it's dead, I can't. I'll, I'll be contaminated. I won't be able to go to church and do my job at church. So they are actually seeing themselves as they're being shomer. They're keeping the law. Now, the Good Samaritan, which, by the way, in Hebrew is Shomron, which has the same root as Shomer. So they're ones who keep watch, look after, care for. The Samaritan applies oil and wine to the man's wounds. Oil often refers to the Holy Spirit, and wine represents the blood of Jesus. So this Samaritan who Jews despised is honored by Jesus. He's the one who's applying the oil and the wine to this beat-up body. The priests and the Levites are more worried about how they look and how they're going to be perceived. Scripture says God is shomer over us. He takes care of us. He watches us. He guards us. He said Abraham was shomer. Isaac was shomer. The scripture even says we're to be shomer over ourselves, our own bodies. We've been given the responsibility to take care of our bodies. And because if we know Jesus, he lives in us. Our body is his body. And because there is a verse in Mark 13, 34, where Jesus, in, his, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's talking to his disciples. And he's experiencing the greatest grief of his life and he tells his disciples remain here stay awake and shomer so he's calling his disciples to be like him to take care to guard to keep of course they failed in their assignment they fell asleep several times but you know jesus never ever failed to be shomer over his sheep even when they denied that they knew him he stayed faithful So scripture tells us our bodies are not our own, that we're bought with a price. We're part of his body, the body which he is the head of. So when one part of his body is sick, it affects all the other parts of the body, even the head. As I said earlier, I don't understand healing completely. Sometimes Jesus has healed me instantaneously and miraculously. Other times, it's been a slow process of discovery. But it's always only been after spending long times of conversations with Jesus 
through talking to him, listening, his word, his people. So I just want to share a couple of things that I have learned through my healing journey. Because people ask me all the time, how did you get healed from fibromyalgia? And there is no easy answer. It is complex. Healing is unique in every person. There is not a formula. And you say, oh, Jesus spit and put it on someone's eyes, and that's what I'm going to do. That's not how it works. Each person's healing is unique and is different. That's what I found out. So I'll give you uh, seven points about things I have discovered about healing. One, I need to be brutally honest with myself and with God and be willing to seek the truth. Two, I need to humble myself and admit I need help and I need to accept whatever it looks like. Naaman didn't want to dip in the Jordan River because it was dirty. I get that. I was at the Jordan River. I didn't get baptized. I thought, eh, it's a little dirty. And Jeremy shared a story last week about the help that God kept sending someone and they kept rejecting it. I've done that too. When I had fiber, God was reaching out to me with an answer. He had a key. And I kept thinking, that doesn't make sense. That can't be God. But it was. When I was in a deep depression, God sent me to minister to people who had Alzheimer's in long-term care. He sent me to sick and dying people in the hospital. He sent me to suicidal people on reserves. I thought, who am I to go there? I'm a mess. I am deeply depressed. I feel like killing myself. What on earth could I possibly, how could I possibly help anybody? And yet I heard God very clearly. And when I went, God showed up every time. My depression just disappeared for a moment and I was able to minister and I was able to bring joy and laughter. And then as soon as I got home, the depression came back. I couldn't figure it out, but his anointing was on me when I did his will. Eventually the depression did lift though for good. So number three, healing is never God waving a magic wand. It's not us doing it ourselves, saying the magic words. It's not abracadabra, open sesame. Yes, God's word is powerful. It is medicine. It works. It heals. But healing has been so much about me growing up, maturing, getting to know him better, and learning to trust him. Because I am responsible for keeping my healing. You know, you can get healed and not stay healed. And if I continue going my own way and going back to old habits and unhealthy patterns of thinking and behavior, I will lose my healing. My life will just go back to being that runaway truck. I will keep getting the red licorice over and over again. And then I'll be jealous of all the people who are getting the black licorice. So I found out, I reaped always what I sowed. No one can turn around my truck except me, with God's help. Number four, I need to pay attention to my feelings, things like jealousy, anger, and also the symptoms of sickness. Anything that's causing me emotional turmoil or physical pain needs attention, just like that red oil light on your car dashboard. You need to take action, or you're going to pay for it one way or another. Keep your heart pure. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath because it will swallow you up. 
Number five, I need to deal with anger. Anger is not sin. Jesus showed his anger with the fakes in the church. The Pharisees were really good at acting, just like I was. But you know what they were doing? They were infecting the whole body and making it sick. Jesus practiced the words of Leviticus 19.17. He says, don't secretly hate your neighbor. If you have something against him, get it out into the open. Otherwise, you are an accomplice in his guilt. Jesus practiced that. He didn't keep things secret. It takes courage to speak truth. It's so much easier to keep it all inside and just stay angry. But Jesus never sinned. He called Pharisees snakes and whitewashed tombs. The truth hurts. But he remained loving towards all those who crucified him and asked God to forgive them because they did not know what they were doing. Number six, I need to let God cut off dead roots and branches in my life. Dead and decaying stuff needs to go. Emotional abuse can take it can leave all kinds of underground tangled roots. Trust God to show you how he will help you to become more fruitful. He is the master gardener and wants you ready for the huge harvest he's planned. Number seven, I need to stay in God's word and rehearse what it says every single day out loud. God's word is medicine. By his stripes, we are healed. We are not victims. We have conquered the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Jesus makes crooked paths straight. He brings long, abundant life if we want it. But we do have to stay attached to him, the vine. His blood restores, heals, loves, forgives. Jonah wanted to die because things weren't going his way. He wanted God to know he was not happy. When the plant died, he didn't really care about the plant. It's his comfort that was disrupted. Jonah could care less about the 120,000 people that just got saved from their sin. Last night, I was going to my mother's to go cut her toenails and help her with washing. That was not what I wanted to do. I preferred to accept an invitation to sit around a bonfire with friends. But when I was in the sauna afterwards, God spoke to me. And that's what happens when we go in those silent, still places. God talks to me in the sauna a lot. He shares secrets. And sometimes I get really frustrated because I think, God, I don't have a pen and paper here. But last night, he, he, he said, you know what? You know, there is a theme in what, you, what you're going to be sharing. Do you notice? It's about the garden. Cain was living in the garden that I gave to Adam to take care of, to be Shomer over. I was in the garden of Gethsemane and told my disciples to be Shomer, to take care. They failed. I gave you a dream about a garden. That was your garden to take care of, and it was your mother's garden. And he said, I appreciate when you are being Shomer over the things that I've given you. 
And he, he shared about Jonah, and it was really interesting. I never, ever thought about that with Jonah. He said Jonah was so angry about that plant because he thought the plant was for his comfort. And God said no. Just like when he sent the dove, which is Jonah, same as Jonah. A dove and Jonah are the same in Hebrew. He sent the dove when Noah was in the ark. The dove came and brought an olive leaf, peace, new beginnings. He says, I was giving Jonah a new beginning. He didn't care about those 20,000 people, but I was giving him a plant to be Shomer over. He failed. He didn't get it. He thought it was all about him. Are you a Jonah or are you a Cain? God wants to know where you're at. Do others regularly witness the expression of your anger? Or do they think you're always cool, calm, collected because you're perfect? Don't be deceived that you can continue to present peace to the world if you have a simmering volcano in your belly because it will erupt and everyone will know it when it happens. Learn to recognize your anger, especially if you have recurring bouts of emotional sickness like depression. If you have physical sickness, Ask Jesus to show you what is the root or the reason. He wants to help you. If you've had a lot of abuse or neglect in your formative years, it may take time to get healed. It may take years. God is gentle and kind. He will never require more of you that you can handle at one time. So it may not happen quickly. He knows what you need when you need it. Trust him. Let your pain drive you into the throne room of God instead of rolling down the hill in a runaway truck. Seek help. Talk to a trusted friend, a pastor, counselor. Do whatever God tells you to do. Above all, trust him that he loves you and he wants the absolute best for you. You're his body. He wants all of his body whole and healed. He has promised us abundant life. Take hold of his promises and see that he is good all the time. Even when you fail to be Shomer, he's still Shomer over you. He has an assignment for all of his body to finish. And he wants us all well. He wants us all working together. And he's going to help complete what he started in you. He has not given up on you. He is going to help you. We are never alone. He has answers for all of your questions if you will just take time to listen. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are Shomer over us all the time. And we just thank you, God, that you are bringing new beginnings for so many, Lord, that you want your body healed more than we do. Help us to believe that with all our hearts. Amen.